the quantum mechanics. Yes, we are the quantum mechanics, the paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters, and everyone in between. Nothing odd has happened to me this week, sadly. No, nothing odd's happened to me, really, either. So, oh well, thanks for listening. <laughs> no, we do have an episode. We do, we do, we do. <laughs> when, we, when we first started this, it seemed like we had a lot of coincidences and little bits which we were able to report back. And we were sort of saying, when you start looking at the phenomena, and it looks back at you. Yeah. It's, uh, it hasn't looked back at me for a little while recently. Well, that's interesting. I have, weirdly, I... There was a couple of little ones that I started thinking about while I was researching this episode. And then actually, when I dug into it, it was like, no, I'm just excited the way it flowed. You'll see when we get into it. There are a couple of things. Oh, that's a really weird job. But given the subject matter I'm looking at, when I kind of rationalise it, I went, no, it's not that strange that these names would come up and this incident would come up. So... Yeah, you've got to be careful not to talk yourself into these things. Yeah, you? that's true. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you start you start undermining the entire philosophy of our podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, look, I'll tell you what, should we just um, go for the episode? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Well, let me start by, I originally intended to take a kind of more general look at a topic we've not really covered on the podcast before, and that's telekinesis which is the supposed ability to move objects at a distance by mental powers or non-physical means. Yeah. And uh, this is where I'll get the slight jot in, that I... My thought was, I was thinking back to when we first started with remote viewing, and we did almost a kind of general overview. We didn't know tons about it, but we did a general overview, and then as time's gone on, we've delved a bit deeper into the subjects, and I wondered if telekinesis would be a similar topic that we could do the same thing with but (laughs) (laughs) as soon as I started researching it I kind of threw that idea out of the window because of something else I mean we're still going to focus on telekinesis but I've narrowed down the topic okay so I generally have an open mind. We are, after all, the podcast for the believers, the doubters, and all those in between. I guess bits of this episode may seem like they're coming from more of a sceptic lean because of the book I'm mainly going to use and review. Having said that, again, what was going through my mind when I was doing it was the other week when I talked about that story of my father witnessing a cup of tea flying across the room when he was at a funeral and a relative questioned the psychic abilities of a passed away family member. Do you remember I talked about it the other week? Yeah, And I'd really never connected that story with telekinesis, maybe because it seemed that it was a ghostly presence that was responsible or could be responsible. Yes. But I was, is that telekinesis? Does telekinesis have to be from a living person or do any objects moving? So that was a bit of a debate that was going on in my head. Yeah, that makes sense. I suppose the assumption is if there's a spirit involved, there's um the yeah, there's some sort of um manipulation and manifestation rather than it being from the mind of a sentient being. Although yeah, you can wrap yourself up in You can get into knots, but I'm yeah. kind of with you. I feel in my mind telekinesis has to be from uh a living I don't know what the word is, protagonist or somebody who and would A living have, entity, a yeah. A living entity, that's a good word. But let me start with a question for you, Ben. 
when you think of telekinesis, who comes to mind? Um, there was that guy on the television who was, I think he was making the pages of a telephone directory move. Okay. And when it was looked into, he was like basically blowing very discreetly. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was, that was, that's the first one that comes to mind. Okay. And then, I don't know. I don't want to cheat, but I, I, I know that you're going to talk about Geller. Is that, is that the next? Yeah. That, yeah. I mean, Geller for me is the first person that comes to mind. Well, it's funny actually you said what you said because, uh, again, there's a bit of a connection here. I remember watching a similar thing with uh, somebody moving objects on a TV show, which we're going to talk about during this podcast. So that's interesting. But yes, Geller. Geller was top of my mind. So that's almost when I said I was going to do a general episode on telekinesis. It was like, well, let's start with Geller. And then I never got off Geller. <laughs> <laughs> I, I never went anywhere else. And when I was thinking about the Geller story, weirdly, it started me thinking about some of the great rivalries we've covered on the podcast previously. So it reminded me of the episode we did on the Highgate Vampire story. Mm. You remember we covered the rivalry. You did this brilliant episode of the two vampire hunters, David Farron and John Manchester. Yeah. Um, it also rem reminded me of the episode that we did with Houdini, where we discussed, I guess, it wasn't really a feud. It was more of a friendly rivalry. It was a gentlemanly rivalry between Harry Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Mm-hmm. But that really, I think all this came about because Yuri Geller also reminds me of one of the great rivalries or feuds, let's say, in paranormal history. And that is between Yuri Geller and James Randi. Oh, gosh, yes, yes. So I'm sure our, our audience don't need any introduction to who Yuri Geller is. Uh, yeah, possibly the most famous practitioner of telekinesis, although I'm not sure that Geller himself would describe it as telekinesis or psychokinesis. I think Yuri just talks about it as a power he has, right? Yeah, yeah. And different, it's, a, it's amazing when you kind of search out stories about where did Yuri Geller get this power from, you know, there are stories that he had it from birth, some that say there was some kind of intervention from a divine power or entities from a parallel universe. There's even some weird stories out there about him entering a UFO and returning with his really? powers. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's so many tales out there. I'm not saying these come from Geller, but, you know, if you, yeah. if you dig around the internet, there's a shed load of stuff that has different things. Although Geller himself, in a now infamous appearance on the Johnny Carson Tonight Show, which we will return to later, said that his abilities were something he first noticed as a child when he realised he could move the hands of his watch forward by concentrating on it, even to the stage where he could bend the arms or the hands of his watch just by concentrating. Right. So, yeah. People know Geller, I think. Most people would. The other yeah. protagonist in this story, I think a lot of people would know, but maybe not everyone, and that's James Randi, who sadly died in 2020. Now, 
I mentioned Harry Houdini a minute ago, and there are a lot of parallels between Houdini and James Randi. Like Houdini, Randi was a successful magician, illusionist and escape artist. Like Houdini, Randi had passed off his magic as paranormal feats to his audience and then informed them that it was all a deception. Oh, very sort of uh, Darren Brownish. Very, yeah, and Penn and Teller-esque, which actually I think Randi was quite an influence on Penn and Teller and especially their Flawless series as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Interestingly, like Houdini, Randy talks about how some people in his audience would not accept that he did not have paranormal powers, no matter how much he insisted that it was a trick. (laughs) Right, right, yeah. And famously, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle struggled to believe that Houdini did not have paranormal powers. Oh, yeah, yeah. He he basically... He said, You're, you, you are fooling people by saying you don't have paranormal powers. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's view was the big misdirection that Houdini mm, was putting mm. out there, which is fascinating to me, I think. Um, like Houdini, Randy was part of an organisation that put up a cash prize to anyone who could demonstrate or prove their paranormal powers. Um, the amount that was on offer was $1 million, which has never been claimed or won like Houdini he who dedicated a chunk of his life to disproving paranormal performers claims Randy did the same including his psychic investigator tv series which was probably where I first saw him from if you've ever seen some of him in fact that's what I was referring to earlier about somebody using telekinesis and he's similar to the phone book story you told would then come on and go, no, what you're doing is blowing on it. Try yeah. and do it without having your head so close to it. And start there. So yeah. he kind of, again, forerunner of uh, Penn and Teller's Fallers, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and like Houdini, Randy wrote books exposing tricks of paranormal performers. And it is Randy's most famous book, The Truth About Yuri Geller, which was first published under the title The Magic of Yuri Geller, that I want to mainly talk about today. Now, this book led to a 20-year feud between Geller and Randy, which resulted in multiple court cases. So I'm mainly going to focus on Randy's views and theories in the book The Truth About Yuri Geller, which put forwards the theory as to how Yuri Geller has achieved some of his most amazing feats. And um, Ben, spoiler alert, Randy was not a believer that Geller's powers were anything to do with the paranormal. This is disappointing because I've always thought he was a little bit different, Yuri Geller. I mean, I told you I've met him on more than one occasion. Yeah, yeah. And I've seen him do the spoon trick. And did I ever explain what he did to my father's radio? Well, I remember you telling me a story and I was thinking about it when I was writing this and I didn't want to kind of tap you up for details of it because I wanted the episode to kind of flow flow as new for you. But I'd love to hear that story. Yeah, well, so my dad used to do a radio show. He invited Yuri Geller on and one of the things that they were doing was making broken objects work. And my dad had an old transistor radio from, like, the 1950s, a Bakelite one. And 
it must have been one of the first ones and it was impossible um to make it work it had been dropped in the snow and some bbc engineers had a look at it and they said no that will never work and yet with some fresh batteries put in it and sat on a desk in between dad as the interviewer and yuri as the guest this thing gradually came to life and not only did it come to life and this was over the course listeners could hear it sadly this is back in the 80s so it's lost um in time but it came to life and started uh whistling and humming and then it tuned itself into the very radio station they were speaking on and and it still works to this day and and yet as i said some proper sophisticated bbc radio engineers looked at it and they said in their opinion that thing could never work that's really interesting um yeah, that is really interesting. Well, maybe we'll come back to that. Yeah, that 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 is fascinating. And look, I've got to say here, this is this is one man in a book's view about how Yuri Geller does this. You know, so um, I'm not sitting here saying Yuri Geller doesn't have paranormal powers or not. I'm just really interested in the book and felt yeah. it was something we should cover. But. Um, yeah, let's come back to that story because that is interesting. And and I've got an example actually from you and I, which still perturbs me, which in some ways would counter some of what Randy's saying in his book. So let's return to those themes. Um, I'm going to use Randy's later version of the book. So the original came out in 1975. There was another version out with the change title put out. I think it was 81 or 82. Um And this version starts with a note from Randy where he states that he gave Geller the opportunity to stop publication of the book if Geller agreed to certain conditions, which I thought was a really strong start to a book. Here's a book that you might not have been able to read if Geller had had basically agreed to some of Randy's conditions. That is a bit blackmail-y. Well, I'll read you... I'll read you what he... I'll quote him himself, because I had a similar feeling. He says, In May 1975, just before the book was committed to the hands of the printers, I sent Yuri Geller a registered, carefully composed letter. It was received by him personally at his apartment in New York City. The letter offered Geller a way to ward off the dilemma that my book was sure to bring about. I told him that I would meet with him at a time and place of his choosing to discuss what we might work out so that I would not have to proceed with publication. It was something I was willing to forego if a better solution could be arrived at, but I was convinced that the truth had to be told one way or the other. So, yeah, basically Randy said to Geller, if you come out and admit your powers were nothing to do with the paranormal just clever magic tricks i won't publish the book i i under, i can see both sides of the story but i think that's i think that's a little bit too much because even if it is a magic trick the way that he's selling his brand is that it's a paranormal ability you're basically asking a man to destroy his his brand i i don't i'm uncomfortable with that approach yeah, well, Randy actually in the book does does say he believes if Geller had done that, he would have gone on to be one of the you know most successful magicians of all time. 
I'm not so sure. I'm with you. I think somebody who's built their reputation on almost the opposite of it being magic, that it is something paranormal or an external power, let's say. I'm not sure you do recover from that, do you, if you admit it? No, I don't think so. And I I think it's... To me, it's very similar to saying, I've just found out how Darren Brown does all of his amazing stage show stuff. And... I'm going to reveal it in this book unless, Darren, you tell everyone how you do it. I, I know it's a, a nuanced difference, but I don't agree that you can hold... You can. It's, it's holding a gun to a man's head, and I think that's... Mm. I, I think that's wrong, and I think it's unprofessional, and I think it's... Um, magic is such a difficult thing where, you know, we all kind of know that magic isn't true, but part of magic is people set themselves up with a brand to do that magic. I mean, Paul Daniels is never said that he was in any way paranormal, but he had his own brand. If, if Geller is just a magician and his brand is, I have power, mm. you're asking him to just say, actually, no, I'm nothing special. I'm just a really good trickster. Mm. And I don't think he would have gone on to be the most yeah. um, revered, uh, magician I think it, people would have turned to him and gone well you lied to us mm. whereas it isn't lying anyway anyway I, I, no, I'm no, getting more angry about this no man. no no that's fine I'll we'll, we'll, tell you what we will return to that point because it does come up later um, but let's go back to when James Randi first met Yuri Geller it was a point that uh, it was at a point where Geller had come to the US and was starting to make a splash in the media Yuri had made a number of appearances and been doing tests with SRI, the Stanford Research Institute. We'll come on to that later as well. And some of the amazing drawings Geller did, including the grape drawing, which we featured in our episode on remote viewing many, many moons ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, Now, Time magazine wanted to do a piece on Geller and had arranged to meet him at their offices to assess whether the hype was worth the investigation. It was worth investigation. The meeting took place on Sunday, February the 4th, 1973 at Time magazine's offices. Randy was contacted by a friend who worked at Time and was asked to come to the meeting posing as a reporter. So he kind of, yeah... He was in disguise, not well, not disguise, because I don't think he'd ever met Geller before, or Geller knew who he was, but he was billed as a reporter rather than a magician who was coming to the meeting. Randy says that he did this because Yuri Geller was always uncomfortable with magicians watching his work, often claiming the negative energy interfered with his abilities. Now, the book goes into a lot of detail about Geller's, what Geller did that day. It included spoon bending, psychic drawing, and among other things. And Randy said it was that meeting that convinced him that Yuri was a great magician and not someone who possessed special powers. Randy believed he could work out Geller's tricks and felt compelled to expose them as tricks. So let's talk about motivations at this point, because I do think that is really interesting. Mm. Uh, When we looked at Houdini's expose of spiritualists in his book, A Magician Among the Spirits, I don't know if you agree with this, but when I read it, it felt like Houdini's motivations were connected to a desire almost to believe in the supernatural. Probably connected to the death of his beloved mother. Yes, yes. 
But Houdini could not reconcile what he was seeing from spiritualists and the lack of evidence to the existence of the paranormal. That's mm-hmm. what I took from yeah, yeah, that Yeah, I'd agree. I'd agree. Um, and at the time, and, and this ties into something we've, we've already touched on, when I read Houdini's book, I was also fascinated by the drive of someone who effectively deceives people for a living being so driven to expose deception. Mm. I think mm. there's something really interesting about that from a psychological point of view. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's interesting, this is a slight aside, but you mentioned Darren Brown. You know, Darren Brown is quite famous for revealing how he's done some of his amazing feats. I, yeah. I, I think I've talked on the podcast before, almost a little connection to remote viewing where he got those uh i don't know if you've ever seen it where he gets the advertising executives to put together an advertising poster for a funeral parlor for pets yes and they draw and use the same tagline pretty much as he's got in a sealed darren brown's got in a sealed envelope and then he reveals how it was done and you know it's basically he said he put lots of subliminal messages on their journey to the meeting with Darren Brown that totally influenced what they did. And which I, itself might be misdirection. He might have done it a different way. Which is my thought exactly. That I think that I, I've always sat there and gone, is that the truth? Or is that part of the deception? Is that part of the act? Which kind of touches on that point you were talking about, about this blurred line between performer deception and the truth you know you've got an example here of houdini and randy two magicians who deceive their audience certainly in randy's case you know incensed that someone might do that by claiming paranormal abilities which again i think is fascinating um so randy says of geller One of the things I must state, in no uncertain terms, I am probably one of Yuri Geller's greatest fans. I totally respect the techniques and his quick mind, but I cannot condone his callous disregard for the personal friends and admirers who have given their total allegiance to him. Nor can I forgive the damage he has done to respectable men of science and the press who chose to board his comet and who may well have to face, in the end, ridicule of their colleagues." He goes on to say, This writer is convinced that Geller is a clever magician, nothing more and certainly nothing less. This opinion is not the result of a previously set mind. It is, rather, a conclusion arrived after two years of close observation and careful analysis. Yuri's pattern of deception was unmissable. Clever, yes. Psychic, no. So this is kind of tying into that point we've talked about. Randy seems to make a distinction between a magician, though Randy prefers the term conjurer, whose audience knows in advance or sometimes afterwards that they've been deceived compared to someone who maintains that deception throughout their whole career, which is why I think I thought of Darren Brown and some of his things because... I can sit there and work, okay, he's explained to me how he's done that trick of getting them to design the poster. But there are bits of me go, well, there's so much that could go wrong with that. Did he really, some people walking past wearing kind of T-shirts with Heaven's Gates on and 
slogans put on billboards as they journeyed to the meeting did that completely influence them to design exactly the same poster yeah or is there a simpler explanation to that trick yeah yeah it seems to me that it's you know it's very possible that it's one of those tricks because we have seen it with other magicians that you know remarkably what's in the sealed envelope is very similar to what is in um you know what you ask someone to recreate even even i recall a a much simpler version of that trick being done by paul daniels but it's the way that you package it isn't it yeah and and so that's that's kind of i guess what you're saying there is if the way that yuri packages it is to say oh it's my paranormal powers you're then you would then have to say to darren brown well, I'm going to expose you if you don't stop telling people that you're this amazing influence of influencer of people's minds. Yeah. It's the same branding technique. Exactly. That's what I thought. I mean, uh, Randy writes about the paranormal. It's one of those, it's a bit like Houdini in some ways. Um, well, I'll read the quote and we can talk about it. Randy writes, I've often been asked, do you deny the existence of ESP and other paranormal occurrences? The answer is that I doubt their existence simply because I have never had evidence presented to me that would prove their existence. I cannot choose to believe something because I want to. Give me some hard proof and I will change my mind. Until then, I am burdened with reality. I cannot, of course, deny that such things might exist. It would be illogical to do so. Yeah, okay. But I think that's him. I don't know. To me, that sounds like a bit of a, uh, I don't know, a justification for being quite so harsh on Yuri. Yeah. And it's back to that theme of motivation that I was really trying to dig into when I was reading the book. And I think maybe his main motivation for him exposing Geller is, is... basically something much simpler i think i mean i didn't think he was doing it for the money i didn't think he was exposing him for the publicity it came across to me that his main main motivation was a belief that in some way geller was sullying the profession that randy loves so much the the profession of being a, a magician if i if i read you this Yuri, if you were one of the happy people who make a living by delighting young and old by a craft as old as man, I would long ago have sought you out as a friend. But that cannot be. You have chosen to become a semi-religious figure with divine pretensions. We could have been good friends, you and I. Goes on to say, No, Geller is no magician in the ordinary sense of the word, but he does have something. He's discovered a completely new approach to magic something brand new. It is so naive, so direct, so simple that even the magicians can't figure it out right away. I couldn't figure it out myself for a while, but now I can duplicate any trick Geller has done. I'm, strong, right? It's a strong feeling in him that somehow it sullies the world of magicians, and that seems to me his main motivation here. I still don't understand how it sullies the world of magicians. I really don't. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I can't see that. I've I've never once seen Yuri Geller on television. I've seen him on stage as well. And you, you take it at face value. 
you go with what he tells you and you come away going, well, that was pretty impressive, whatever it was. I never thought, well, my God, now I hate Paul Daniels. I yeah, mean, it's yeah. ridiculous to say that. Well, it's and also there were a lot of magicians who were unhappy that Randy was revealing the closely guarded tricks of the trade. Of course. Because you, yeah. you think this was the 70s. This was not like it is now where you've got them, you know, TV specials from the masked magician or, you know, you can pretty much search up a trick on the internet and find a YouTube that explains how it's done. It was a big thing back then. I guess it still is. You know, it was a kind of attitude from the magicians of what we're talking about that, you know, well, the whole psychic thing is just part of your acts and you're exposing his acts. So that is against the magician's code, right? Yes, yes, exactly. So, so even if you think he has no paranormal powers, by exposing him, you're, you're why, you know, it's back to the Darren Brown point, isn't it? What's the yeah. difference? What's the difference? Yeah. And I think, I think there is a difference, actually, between what Houdini did, because I think a lot of the people that Houdini exposed, you know, remembering it was kind of, a lot of it was people were being taken for a ride. You know what I mean? A lot of the spiritualists that Houdini would expose were taking advantage of people who'd suffered a bereavement and even to the extent of getting them to name them as their main beneficiaries in their will and stuff. That is different, right? But there was nothing I found in the book that connected Geller to anything like that. You know, it reminded me a bit more of... um, the Fox sisters, the three Fox sisters. Oh, yeah, yeah. Who, you know, that was their act. I know there are slightly different motivations behind that. But as far as I know of the Fox sisters, they were charging people to come and see them perform. It didn't yes. go further than that. It wasn't like a small group of people who've just lost a loved one and, you know, you have to pay us this huge amount of money no, and sign no. me into your will. So I think there is a difference, don't you think? I think there's a huge difference. Oh, there's a huge difference. Let's move on to something I know me and you are completely obsessed with. And that's the uh, test that Yuri did at the Stanford Research Institute in the early 70s. Yeah, you can still find some of these on the um, CIA website. Yeah, yeah. And we've, uh, we did it in our, uh, well, I'll come on to it actually, because I I do mention it earlier, but we did do it in an episode where me and you tested each other, right? Using kind of similar tests. Yeah, yeah. Now, we have discussed the results of those tests, Yuri Geller, on that remote viewing episode. Uh, and we have talked about some of the people who were running those tests before. So, Harold Putoff. Yep, yep. And Russell Targ. I always thought Putoff is such a strange name to yeah. have for somebody <laughs> researching this. It's stuff. probably not. It's Puthoff, I would have thought. Puthoff, yeah, Puthoff, yeah. It's probably say. a derivation of German or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. apologies for my pronunciation. Pronunciation. Um, so there were six weeks of tests and a report was published afterwards and it managed to catapult Yuri Geller onto the world stage and I guess it solidified his claims of some kind of supernatural or or otherworldly powers rather than, you know, anything else. Now, Stanford Research Institute said all tests were undertaken under tight scientific conditions and Randy's book cast doubt on that. He writes... Even Edgar Mitchell, 
an avid believer in Geller, says the two researchers gave in to every whim of Geller and that he was allowed to jump up and run about at will, refusing or postponing attempts at any of the tests, returning to other incomplete ones, and in general thoroughly misdirecting their attention. Now, Raddy goes into some detail about how he felt that strict laboratory conditions were not maintained in the experiments. I'm not going to go into all of that, but I think there are two big points he makes. um, And I think these are interesting and valid. He says that Yuri Geller's people were at the tests and seemed to be allowed to roam freely. Secondly, and I think it's a broader point, about uh, how scientists are maybe not the best to assess what's going on. You know, I can't remember the exact words, but he's basically saying, if you want to catch a poacher, get a poacher. If you want to catch a magician, get a magician, not a scientist. Right. That seems to be his thrust. Yeah. Um, Quick aside, there are a couple of lovely bits in the book about the craft of misdirection, which is another thing I'm really obsessed with. Um, One where Randy says the most difficult people to fool are children, which I never really thought about it. He said because they are less likely to focus on the misdirection that you want them to. So they're the ones who spot you doing the quick hand movement or whatever, because I don't know, maybe it's just their lack of attention rather than misdirection, but... You know, he was saying children are the people who can spot magicians better than anyone else, which I think is fascinating. There's also a lovely description. It it does tie back, I think, to some of the stuff we were talking about, Darren Brown. Uh, He describes about doing the classic magic trick, you know, the floating woman trick where you have a woman floating. It's usually you get this hoop, don't you? And you kind of... Oh, yeah, yeah. I... I know it's a trick, but I still find it fascinating. Yeah, and he says, you know, so there's the big thing about the metal ring being placed around the woman to show there's no wires holding her up. Um, He says, I could hand the metal ring out to the audience to show them it was solid, but I don't do that. (laughs) And he doesn't go into detail, the trick's done. He doesn't really go into that much detail. But he said, he wants you thinking about the metal ring. He wants you to think it might have gaps in it, that that is the misdirection. Right, okay. Which is, you know, I'd be a crap magician because <laughs> <laughs> I'd never go to that much detail, would it? <laughs> oh, damn, I thought you were going to tell me how it was done. No, he doesn't say how it's done, but he does go into some of how Geller's stuff he thinks was done. Um, anyway, back to the Stanford experiments. Randy reviewed Targ and Puthoff's paper and interviewed people and obtained other accounts of the tests. He also reviewed some videotapes of the tests themselves. In one scene from the video, Yuri is seen to move his hands over a compass. Randy writes, What I have seen has caused me several bruises from falling off my chair in laughter. How the great minds at SRI failed to tumble to a simple tricks to the simple tricks Geller performed for them, I cannot understand. Even my youngest magician sh- student solved the compass trick right away. Geller is shown waving his hands about over a simple compass. We are solemnly assured that his hands have been carefully examined with a probe to be sure there are no magnets concealed. 
Nonetheless, the compass needle deflects. It moves, not in rhythm with his hand's movement, but in time with his head, and only when his head approaches the device. And he kind of quite sarcastically says, Open wide, Yeary. What's that magnet doing in your mouth? Okay. Okay. Um, I can see I can see where he's coming from. And at the same time, if you're going to say that's how we did it, you need to offer some proof on that. Yep. What what all you're doing is saying that's how I would do it. Yeah, and that and that is exactly what he does with all the SRI experiments and and all of Yuri's stuff. He just their theories of how they done, and some of them are more. I was going to say far fetched, but that sounds biased. For more complex than others, right? Right, right. Um, there is a lot of detail, but to cut to the chase. A lot of the theories resolve around the presence of Geller's people being allowed to observe the tests as they took place. He talks about everything from Geller's people sending in visual or audio messages. Um, And he he does tie that back to witnesses who have seen Yuri's early act when he was in Israel of having someone sitting in the front who would would signal now that's not to say that Geller did that all the time or you know I, I don't know um he said that some of these messages may have been passed to Geller during the frequent uh breaks that Geller was allowed to take whenever he wanted um he goes right the way through to hidden audio devices and kind of talks about someone that Geller might know who can create an audio device that could be sending him signal. Reminds me of that story recently about the uh, the chess, the guy who beat the chess master. There's, have you heard this story? There's this thing about that. So it's, it's the, a great chess player, but he, he beat a master and there's been lots of speculation online that he did it by anal sex beads. <laughs> How? So he had a guy who was watching it who was basically sending him information saying, no, no, don't do that, but doing it through a kind of anal sex speed device. Uh, ooh. God, that's just given me a great idea of how to cheat on who wants to be a millionaire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. What do I do, Fred? <laughs> <laughs> that's my final answer. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Sorry, is that a that's a real story? That is a that is a real story. Wow, I, okay. I, I, I don't think it's been proved, but that is the theory that is going around. Um, but uh, yeah, so that I, I'm not saying it was anal beads. I'm saying, you know, Randy talks about there could be a device like that. What I wanted to, rather than go through all the tests, rather than go through all the tests, I just wanted to focus on one that I know we are both obsessed with mainly because we tried to replicate it in one of our early podcasts, one we called Psychic Fright Night, and that's the Psychic Drawing Test. That is my favourite, yeah. So uh, there are, th- those images are out there. We'll, we'll stick them in the um, photo album that goes along with this episode. There's like a horse and camel. There's There's various ones. But one particular image from that test where Geller reproduced the drawing of a bunch of grapes that had been sealed in an envelope. Not only did Geller draw a bunch of grapes, he got the exact number of grapes on the bunch 
correct. Yeah, yeah. And both me and you are completely obsessed with that. Yes. It would be fair to say. Yes, very fair to say, yes. Um, And almost at that point, it's funny how your mind works, I almost wanted to stop reading (laughs) when we got to the grapes. Oh, (laughs) no, yeah. But the book did make me challenge some of the assumptions that I had made about that original SRI psychic drawing test. I assumed, as with the remote viewing, viewing, Yuri was given a specific number target to identify and draw. Yeah. Randy seems to be saying that there were a hundred images, that Geller could choose what he wanted to draw and pass on what he didn't, and he seems to be suggesting that Geller could go back multiple times if he didn't get it right first time. Uh, okay, that doesn't come across in in those documents. No, no. But he again, there is a huge chapter on the report that was produced from the SRI test where he he really goes into detail about it. I'm not going to do that. But interestingly, Ben, Randy was obsessed, as obsessed, with the drawing of those grapes as we were. Right, right. He says... When I first saw the SRI drawings, one thing above all bothered me no end. The bunch of grapes was too good. No performer in his right mind would reproduce a target that well, but Yuri's ego was too much for him. This is what he says in the book. Randy's theory as to how this remarkable drawing was achieved revolves around the room Yuri Geller was situated in. This is fascinating, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is Randy's theory of how Geller might have done it. He hasn't got direct proof of it, but there is something really interesting. He said, "I have to, I have to be content to theorize and relate all the little clues that have passed my way." Joseph Hanlon, in conversation with one of the persons who was present at the SRI tests of Geller, was told that several people there talked openly about a small but important defect of the highly touted double steel walled room that was used in the experiment. It seems that this room was not designed or built with Geller's tests in mind, but had served SRI as electrophysical recording chamber. It shielded out most electromagnetic radiation and was said and was used for the ESP tests since it was already there. So that was Geller's test. It was used for that test. The room had a double refrigerator-type door, all right, but with a rather serious leak. In order to get cables in there for the EEG tests, a square hole was cut in the steel wall and the space around it was stuffed with gauze. There were reports of gauze being found about the floor after the grapes drawing was received. My theory that Shippy, who is one of um, Geller's associates, made a small drawing of the target, an exact drawing, and pushed it through the hole to Geller. Unwisely, Geller chose not to make a lot of other tries. After all, he later made 30 responses to another one of these targets, but made a very suspicious direct hit on this one. But he was under observation, wasn't he? Well, this is what Randy seems to be saying. He was supposed to be under observation. 
his argument is Geller is, in his view, a master magician who can create misdirection at any point. He was allowed to get up and leave the room. He was allowed to take breaks whenever he wanted. And there was so much going on. You know, there was this, you kind of think of it, this is how I read it. You kind of think of these kind of almost movie-like laboratory conditions. He seems to be saying it was a lot laxer than that. Still. And I guess that comes back to his point of, if you want to catch a magician, have a magician who would look at all this stuff rather than from a from a different point of view. But But that means that he would have to... Both sides of the wall, one person has to be good enough to draw it and post it through. Yuri has to misdirect enough to be yep. able to pull it out, read it... And then repeat it. And then, and then repeat it. it. Yep. And if... I I don't know. I mean, I'm no magician. Again, this is his point, I suppose. But that that seems very difficult to pull off without somebody noticing. Yeah, I think the ghouls on the floor, if it's true, is really interesting because you have to admit that could be a route that could have made been done to achieve that. But I agree with you. I think there's enough that it's a theory that I'm still holding on a little bit to the wonder of the grape image. Yeah, and some of those other images, like I can understand him saying that the great one is too full on but it, it, it what what does he say about um if i remember correctly there's a dragon image isn't there uh he doesn't talk about the dragon he talks about the horse and the camel do you remember that one? i do remember the horse and the camel yes so the original image was a camel um and the image that yuri drew was a horse with a i think it had a saddle on i can't remember yeah exactly. yeah i think so yeah but it didn't have a hump it was definitely a horse he puts that down to uh a kind of miss if you know for instance if geller's people were communicating through some kind of complex hand signals maybe all they could convey was a horse rather than a camel or that it was interpreted by Geller as a horse rather than a camel or, you know, so there's all these different theories going around. He seems to put weight in the fact that in some way that proves something was going on. It just didn't work. The communication didn't work perfectly that time. He then goes on to other ones where he felt, and I don't know how he knows this, that the conditions were tighter. And in those examples, Geller got the images wrong or decided to pass on the images completely. But again, I don't know how he knows that. I don't know how he knows that. And also, the the same... That explanation for mistaking a camel for a horse or vice versa also would be if he was trying to remote view the article or the drawing and he just slightly gets it wrong. I, uh... Although... Again, having read the book, Randy would say you are falling into a trap. He says there is almost a rule amongst people who believe in the paranormal and say somebody is a paranormal performer, not a magician. What makes them a paranormal performer is the fact that sometimes they get it wrong. And he's saying that's almost a double win. It's like if a paranormal performer gets it right, 
that proves he's a paranormal performer. If a paranormal performer gets it wrong, that proves he's a paranormal performer, not a magician who would replicate it every time. Uh, but then he would say that. <laughs> then he would, yeah. It's his view of it. Oh, I don't, I don't know. But if if he if he's doing all that through trickery, then what about the rest of the remote viewing investigations done by the CIA and other places? Well, let's come. We'll come on to that as well because I think that is a very valid point that I want to touch on at the end. Um, <clears throat> let's talk about spoons. The most famous part of his act, yeah. Yeah, I, as you can imagine, Ben. There is a lot about spoons in the book. <laughs> in fact, at one yeah. point, I got quite bored reading about spoons and photos and various bits that show how it's done. I, I'm not going to go into too much detail, mainly because it is quite dull. Um, spoons are apparently easier to bend than you think. If you train yourself and you've got strong hands, which Randy says that Yuri Geller does, it's you know, it's possible. Um, Randy, the process used to replicate Geller's spoon bending, which, in fairness, it does seem Randy can do pretty much on demand. Uh, I guess it involves, I mean, there are various ways to do it. He says the simplest way is it involves the backbone of magic misdirection. Randy said he observed that the spoon bend after there'd been a period of intense focus on what Yuri is doing that gets temporarily, you know, set aside. So whether that's a break to reload the film or another unnatural distraction in one example, a phone rings or even one's manufactured by whoever's performing the spoon bend itself, that there is a moment where the intense concentration is is distracted, the spoon is bent, often, in his example of just quickly on a table or whatever, just manipulating your hands. But what is key from a performance point of view is then is to let things calm down again and the intense focus to start again. So there is, he's saying there's a way of holding a bent spoon where visually it looks like it's not bent. And then through clever kind of manipulation of your hands, you start revealing the bend that's already there, but it looks like it's actually bending in your hand. And he said, this is just a a great trick that good magicians can do. Okay. I mean... (laughs) Let me just tell you this. There's a really funny story from one of the few times that Randy was actually in a room with Yuri Geller. He tells this story that there are a hotel uh, with a number of people and Geller was trying to bend a key, not a spoon, a key. And Randy was watching him intently and nothing was happening. He said, then someone walks over with Geller's jacket. Geller suddenly violently lurched forward and spread his legs so quickly that his trousers split. (laughs) 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 And, And again, Randy goes in theory of just like, you know, the, the violent movement distracted people and he said that the table was so low that Yuri had to bend his legs so violently so he was able to kind of bend the spoon on 
the table, but in doing so, split his trousers, which I think is hilarious. You imagine that scene. Well, that is that's something that Debbie McGee's never done. <laughs> so yeah. And and then what then? And then the key is bent at this moment, is it? Well, then basically he's saying, I don't know if it was in that case, but he says, then what you do if you're performing that trick, as he would call it, is you put it back in your hand as if nothing's happened. You hold it in a certain way so that you can't see the bends. Then you start manipulating your hands, so you start revealing it. But almost through the power of suggestion, you start saying, look, it's moving, it's moving, it's bending, it's bending, it's bending. Mm-hmm. So when everybody's intently focused again, it's more powerful than if you do it just after you've done a sudden movement. I must say, if he's managing to bend the key with one hand, then blimey, keys well, pretty appa- hard to bend. Well, apparently not, according to Randy. Keys, if you know what you're doing, are much easier to bend than people think, just like spoons. It's what he says. I've never tried bending a key, so I don't know. I mean, the thing is, he says, if you know what you're doing, well, I have, <laughs> I own a lot of keys. <laughs> I know how keys work. I know how keys work, <laughs> unless, I mean, I don't know how bending works. So, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't want to talk that much more about spoons and bending, because like I said, there is pages and pages of it and photos galore in the book. Um, there is some psychology in the book, which also is another thing I'm fascinated about, around why people believe in the paranormal and Geller's powers. Some of the stuff we touched on on the podcast before. Um, rather than talking, uh, going through what Randy says, he puts in a little kind of semi-joke, which I, I just thought was humorous, which I, uh, I'm going to read because I thought it was funny and it does kind of sum up the point he's trying to make more eloquently. So it goes... A psychiatrist was consulted by a patient with a very peculiar delusion. He was convinced that he was dead and nothing could be done to dissuade him of this. The psychiatrist tried to reason with him. Tell me, he said, do dead men bleed? No, of course not, cried the patient. That's a stupid question. The psychiatrist pricked the man's finger with a needle and a drop of blood appeared. And what do you conclude from that? asked the psychiatrist. The patient paused but a few seconds to examine the wound. Obviously I was wrong, he murmured quietly. Dead men do bleed. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, see what he did there. <laughs> I, like, I just love I that. I like that. It's yeah, a really yeah. good story. Yeah, well, I, I guess he's using it as an analogy to to sort of say that's how people who believe in Yuri... That, that, yeah, it's so strong that you yeah. won't look at the other side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So earlier I talked about Yuri Geller's appearance on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. So at this stage, Yuri had made many appearances showing his amazing powers on different TV shows, but arguably none was as big as being on The Tonight Show. Now, this appearance is now infamous. Uh, if you go to YouTube, you'll find the whole thing, or you know there are, very, there are tons of videos who kind of follow what went on. And I, I've seen the whole thing. I know you've seen bits of it before, Ben. It's pretty uncomfortable watching, isn't it? I feel really bad for all of them, to be honest, yeah. Yeah. What Yuri didn't know before appearing on The Tonight Show, and maybe you don't know either, Ben. One, Johnny Carson was actually quite a talented magician. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Two, Johnny Carson knew James Randy. Right. 
and three, that the show and Johnny Carson, unbeknown to Geller, asked Randy to lay out the conditions for the feats that Geller was supposed to perform that night. So to lay out the ground rules. Ah, interesting. So I'm not going to go through all of them, but they included, they made sure security was tight for setting psychic drawing targets. So uh, I believe they were drawn and sealed in a safe 24 hours before the broadcast and were only brought out once Yuri was on set. They made sure that Geller that um, made sure that Geller or anyone from his team could not touch any of the objects he was supposed to attempt to bend. No one from Geller's team were allowed backstage. Uh, now there is a test that Geller does with ten round vessels. I don't know if yeah. you've ever seen this. And one, yes, one yes. contains water, and what Geller would do would eliminate the nine in a row leaving the one that contained the water at the end. Yes. Um, now, Randy doesn't go into too much detail about how magicians do this trick. Uh, he says variations are still being done by performers even to this day. But uh, there is something to do with a kind of visual way that you can look at them and tell the water's in. There's, there's some various bits about stamping your feet on the floor. Not too much detail. Which, whatever. He said he made sure that he put things in place to prevent any trickery as if a magician would do it. Randy also told Johnny Carson to not take his eyes off Geller even during commercial breaks or even let him touch any of the objects during commercial breaks. Now, in fact, if you watch the clip, uh, Yuri uncomfortably refers to this during the broadcast, suggesting Carson is putting him off by watching him so intently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So apart from a slight bend in a spoon, Geller either passed on all the tests, such as the psychic drawings, or gave up mid-test, as he did with the 10 containers. Yuri said he was tired, or the stress of appearing on such a prodigious show, or Carson was sending him bad vibes, or the show itself didn't feel right, and that was affecting him. I'm just going to play a really short clip of that, just to give you a flavour. This is towards the end of it, just how tense and uncomfortable it was. Well, Uri, I don't want you to feel bad about this tonight. I, the monologue doesn't work every night either. Uh, and maybe Thank it's you, a, I don't feel bad about it. It happens it, to me not once, uh, but it happens quite a lot when yeah. I cannot perform and do things. Would you like to try it again some evening if you, if you want to? Yeah, I, mean, I you guess... Could, uh, I'll be happy to extend an invitation to you. You know, Johnny, just to finish that, uh, this was quite an important appearance for me here tonight. And uh, really, in other places, I felt real good. And I knew I could perform things. Because maybe this was and is an important appearance for me tonight, I might be blocking myself. And I want to tell you, uh, you know, people ask me, are you nervous before coming in, sitting here? Uh, I was very nervous tonight, really. Uh, maybe I can say my first time that I was really nervous appearing. Uh, I heard about you when I was a little kid in Israel. <laughs> so. We'll look, For me, it was important. We'll uh, love to have you come back again sometime. Okay, thank you. Mm, really. And don't be disappointed. I'm not. Okay, fine. So if you go with Randy's view that what you are seeing on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson was Yuri, a magician, being, I guess, scuppered by another magician. Yeah. If you go with that premise that Geller was prevented from doing 
what Randy would regard as his magic tricks by Randy and Carson's diligence, I was thinking, Ben, can you imagine the pressure Yuri Geller was under during that show? If yeah. you go with that premise. Yeah, if you go with that premise, they've basically ruined his act. Yeah, it, you know, it's possibly his most important most important appearance of his life, right? You know, in front of the biggest audience in America, I'm not sure what the ratings were for the Johnny Carson show back then, but there weren't as many channels. It was a, it's yeah. the thing, right? The Beatles got their break. On Absolutely, the yeah, show. yeah. And you're there, if you're Geller, if you go with Randy's premise, and you know there's absolutely nothing you can do about it, and you've got to sit there for 20 minutes. Yeah. I, I think if it's true, I was thinking Geller looks remarkably calm given the turmoil that must have been going on inside him during that show. Yeah, he does. And, the, well, it's either... It's either that yes, they completely broke his methods for doing it, or, or it's true. Just in front of a live audience, he bro- he fell apart. Yeah, couldn't do it. Well, whether it was related to the appearance on the Tonight Show or the continued efforts of Randy to expose Geller or not, Yuri crossed the pond to England, came our way. Uh, but that was not the end of it for James Randy. There are some interesting correspondence and exchanges between Randy and a legend of British magic, Ali Bongo. Oh, yeah. I love him. Yeah. Who was also keen to expose Geller. So they they kind of became allies in the magic profession, pretty much against a lot of others, including the magic circle. Again, didn't like this idea that, you know, someone's act or tricks were being exposed. So they didn't necessarily believe that... Geller was uh, had any paranormal powers or psychic powers, but it was that angle. This is interesting as well. There's a whole section about Randy coming to the UK, including Randy fooling the publication Psychic News. He was a genuine psychic like Geller. And Randy not expecting it to be front page news of the magazine or paper before he revealed it was a hoax. I'll come on to that. Similarly, he fooled other British scientists who were advocates of Geller's paranormal powers into believing that he, Randy, had the same powers again before he revealed the truth. And I did find this section, especially the one when Randy came to England, as a more than a bit hypocritical, really. You know, if you remember right back at the start, I said Randy's motivations were partly because he was shaming the reputation of scientists and making them look like fools. And to me, surely that's by posing as somebody who has those powers and then later revealing it, surely you're doing exactly the same thing. You're doing exactly the same thing. I guess he would say he's showing how easy it is to do if you know what you're doing. But again, I just go back to he's literally going... Look over there. He's doing this trick and you will believe him. But I still don't see why he's so morally engaged yep. in saying that's wrong. Now, it's true. The CIA is never going to do tests on Darren Brown. and Darren Brown wouldn't let them. He doesn't want to. Yeah. But he, if Yuri Geller has done this as an act, this is all part of the act. This is all part of building who he is. I guess I would say something like Derek Akora 
would probably have gone along with that. Yeah. Derek Akora is a cold reading uh, now deceased, but that's that was his thing. He was pretending to be a psychic. A lot of people will think he was real. And you, you can't just take away a man's livelihood you know with the psychic thing it is more dangerous because you're saying you're giving hope to people with dead and that's where we get back to houdini and all that but yuri geller is not trying to say that he communicates well sometimes he does say he communicates with the dead but he's not taking money off vulnerable people he's performing an act and i don't know why he's so angry about that yeah that's i agree i agree um i mean it's interesting you mentioned Derek akura because I, I was thinking about that as well briefly of you know, maybe not Derek Akura himself necessarily, because I don't want to speak ill of anyone, but those kind of shows where you know there is trickery and fakery, those kind of paranormal shows that you sometimes see. <laughs> Sounded like Stuart Lee then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll have seen them. <laughs> um, I, they bother me. They annoy me and I, yeah. I almost want them exposed but yeah. I don't feel the same way about Geller. And I don't no. think it's because I necessarily believe he has these amazing paranormal powers. I remember even being quite a kid as a kid thinking, this is a great act. <laughs> you know, even yeah. when I was quite young. Yeah. I don't feel the same way about Geller. And I have no idea why I don't. No, I uh, I agree. I, As I say, I've met him a few times. I thought he was a warm um, uh, individual. I think he's possibly one of the most famous people I've ever met. He was very humble. He was very engaging. And he did some close-up magic for me, if that is what it is. And it's yeah. it's I, it's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. Well, there, there, there is also detail in the book about Geller's time in Israel before he became a worldwide phenomenon. And there's various quotes from friends, associates, claiming they knew or even helped Yuri perform tricks. But let's take a brief look at the aftermath of James Randi's book because it did result in multiple lawsuits from different parties. The main case involving Geller and Randi themselves, you know me, I love digging around for a bit of legal stuff. I found a summary from the US Court of Appeals from 1995. Um, I get excited about these things mainly so I can read out this next title that is the headline of the official document. Yuri Geller, appell, appell, is it appell, appellant? Appellant. I think that's Oh, one. God, I don't know. Okay. Is that, that's a legal term, yeah, is it? Yeah, no, right. I'm just going to go for it. Apologies, lawyers. Um, Yuri Geller, appellant, this is brilliant, versus James Randi, a.k.a. Adam Jerskin, a.k.a. Donald, <laughs> a.k.a. Truce Bodyguard, a.k.a. The Amazing Randy, a.k.a. Randall James Swing, Committee for the Science Investigation of Claims of the Paranormal. I'd love to have that many names. That's great, isn't it? It's like the KLF. I didn't, wow. re- I didn't read any more after that. <laughs> I, was just, I was just happy with it. Yeah. yeah, furthermore, known as The Amazing Randy. Also known as the, yeah. I mean, my, like, my summary... Uh, as far as I understood, the the legal paper was that Geller sued Randy for reported $15 million, uh, which actually I did find a couple of articles in the New York Post and various other places where everyone was getting really excited about it because 
there was this prospect that Urigella might have to prove his powers in a court of law uh, to counter Randy's evidence. That would just be incredible, wouldn't it? That would have been fantastic, particularly if he'd actually done it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in terms of what happened with the lawsuits, um, and my reading of that kind of slightly intelligible legal easy document, and I do, once again, apologise to any lawyers listening out there who are probably rolling their eyes and putting their heads in hand. My idiot reading of it was there was lots of back and forth, including... Geller being asked to provide a certain amount of information, which I don't think he did. In the end, the case didn't proceed, and Geller was asked to pay costs of just over under $150,000. Okay. Okay. So it kind of was a stalemate, really. It sounds a bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I understand why he was going after that. That compensation was presumably to make up for, I guess, lost earnings. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, if you think about it, and I don't know if that's why Yuri left the US to come to to over over this side of the pond, but, well, imagine if the Carson show had gone different. Yeah. If you think about it from that perspective, the Beatles got their first big exposure in America on the Johnny Carson show, and we all know by the end they were saying bigger than Jesus, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I just want to get, uh, this is the conclusion bit. While reading the book, especially the parts about the Stanford test, and you alluded to it earlier as well, I kept thinking about the tests we did on Psychic Fright Night episode, especially in relation to the SRI tests on Geller. And I keep coming back, and I know I obsess about it, but it was such a big thing, your drawing of Mount Fuji. Yeah. Now, if we compare what we did to the SRI tests, so that Randy's argument is about the conditions of the tests and a inherent belief that there was deception going on. And I remember when we you showed me that picture of Mount Fuji, I think, I don't know if it was right away, but in that episode I said, no one's going to believe that we didn't fake this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which we didn't. And I just wanted to talk about some of how strict we were in terms of the conditions for the test that me and you did, because I think it's important. So we didn't record that episode in the same location. No. We did it on Zoom. We could page pick a remote viewing target from anywhere in the world. We put no limitations on it, right? Yeah. We told each other nothing about the place that we picked. No. We didn't even do the remote viewing thing of assigning it a number. No. No, we just said we picked it. We turned off both video and audio while we drew the targets. Correct. We set ourselves, I think, a time limit of coming back, yep. from my memory. Yeah. We revealed and discussed our drawings before the other revealed the target. Yes. And you pretty much nailed the majority of the target I set for you, Ben, which was Mount Fuji. Yes. You had two peaks instead of one, so that was a difference. Yeah. But apart from that, it was the right shape. It had the snow cap as the picture that I'd chosen. So I'd chosen a picture. 
it had the water in front of it. You even drew buildings in the foreground. Yes. And most impressively, and this is the bit that just blows my mind, it was the correct perspective of the photo of Mount Fuji I chose. Yes. And there are many perspectives that I could have chosen of Mount Fuji. And I just begin to wonder what James Randi would make of that. Yeah, um, I certainly don't proclaim any paranormal abilities or any magic abilities. I can't even do those ones you get free in the crackers. I can't even impress a (laughs) three-year-old with those ones you get in the crackers. Um, I've thought about that quite a lot, less so since time has gone on. But um, I I don't know where it came from. I'm not saying I was inspired. I just drew what came to mind. Yeah. And it's possible that I got lucky, but I don't know. I've got no connection with Mount Fuji, so I don't know. Well, you know, like I said, I know we didn't cheat. Um, we definitely didn't cheat, no. Which... In a way, I kind of come to your conclusion. There are only two conclusions I can come with, come to. And one of them is just so out there that it can't be true. Uh, And I know it's not true. That I am Yuri Geller. Well, apart from a paranormal (laughs) one. The only possible explanation I can find is that you put a camera in my house. (laughs) (laughs) And Ben, I do trust you implicitly. Not only that. I knew that you couldn't do that because we were in lockdown. <laughs> so either you had to do that way in advance of knowing that we do that episode. And I think it was me who suggested we do the test unless you'd somehow Darren Brown wise, you know, it's so convoluted. The only explanation I, I, I kind of tried to put myself in Randy's shoes and a hidden camera yeah. was the only thing I could come up with. Um, <clears throat> Or it's just a huge coincidence. A, I'm too cheap to buy a hidden camera that would be good enough. <laughs> I don't even know how much they'd cost, but I can't just stick a ring doorbell in your bedroom. I think people would have noticed yeah, that. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't want to. That's not the point of this. I'm yeah. not trying to prove anything. I'm not going around selling myself as a remote viewer. Um, but the- I, but I, I guess my point is, I think that's the conclusion. Yeah, I guess Randy's conclusion would mm. be we colluded and to fool the people that listen to our podcast, which I absolutely, yeah. you know, I could understand why people might think that. I guarantee that did not happen. <laughs> we didn't gain any new listeners No, no. It. In fact, at that point, we, it was very early on. We didn't have hardly any listeners at all. No. Um, so, yeah, I wondered if he would come up with something like that, that, you know, one of us is lying to each other and had put a secret camera in and all that kind of stuff. Um. Yeah, uh, uh, and that, I think, that is the problem, isn't it? I think, I I do have one problem with some of the stuff that Yuri does, that some of it does seem to be classic or adaptations of classic magicians' tricks. And I find it hard to reconcile that with something that could be totally paranormal why would you do that if you had a natural ability why would you almost draw that attention to yourself yeah 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 no i completely i completely agree and because like obviously because he was on my dad's show dad and i have spoken about it and 
the transistor radio thing that sounds incredible is a very peculiar thing of course it's not laboratory conditions it's in a bbc radio studio and of course of course he held it it wasn't he wasn't told he couldn't touch it of course he held it but he didn't know that dad was bringing a radio in he had no idea it was just bringing objects that aren't working yeah largely clocks um uh, there is a whole thing on clocks in the book, but again, I won't go into that. But, 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 but a- I think uh, that's why I was interested in you on the transistor radio, because, you know, many jewellers would say, yes, if you've not touched a watch for a while and you move it, it will work for a bit and then it will stop. But I'm not sure that's the case with what you are saying is a well-broken, dropped-in-the-snow radio. That's a different league. Yeah, yeah. And, and Dad still has it and still says it's a mystery. I will say another very peculiar thing that happened... Um, during one of his broadcasts with my dad was he was getting everyone to do the work work thing and hold a broken watch right and my mum was holding her she had a black swatch watch because it was the 80s I keep reminding people (laughs) and if anyone owned one of those early swatch watches they've got a a a watch um, uh, sorry they've got a battery bay on the back Mm. that you screw in and out of with a screwdriver and this this had got a new battery in it and it still didn't work and mum i think had just assumed that she'd got it too wet or something like that we were we were in our living room upstairs it was an upside down house the living area was upstairs bedrooms downstairs she was i said go on you might as well try it mum and she's a big you know mum does not believe in this sort of stuff at all and she she was holding it in her hand going work work and suddenly she said, "Oh, that's weird. The bas- the backs come off. Can you find the battery?" I was like, "Oh, you must have you must have not put it in right." And she had me searching around the sofa and under the everywhere, couldn't find it. Lost the bloody battery. About two days later, uh, downstairs in the back of the understairs cupboard, behind the vacuum cleaner, was the battery hmm. now randy would say well you got it attached to you and someone went in to get the vacuum cleaner yeah that's all very possible hmm. but also at the same time we were mum was genuinely like how did that get there that's really strange almost like a jot and the last thing i will say is that in his house and i can understand that randy would say that this is a trick i remember he put a spoon in my hand that was bending and to me, it appeared to bend more. Clearly, mm. I remember it bending more and being fascinated by it. And Randy would say, well, he just put it in your hand in such a way so it looked like it was doing it. Maybe he did. Yeah. But the big thing that I take from this is I am not saying Uri Geller has or hasn't got powers. I'm saying he's a very rich man who claims that he got his money by searching out oil for oil companies if he didn't get it from there i wonder where he did get it from because his mansion is flipping huge (laughs) and um if if he is just a magician he's a very good one and i appreciate what randy was trying to do science should always win but don't don't blackmail a man to ruin his reputation. Just have the argument and say, I don't believe you. Yeah, I think yeah. you do it as a trick. Don't try and take a man down. He's not doing any harm. Yeah. I think that's I think that's mean, actually. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. Well, uh, as we said, Yuri now lives in the UK. Um, a couple of weeks ago, he claimed he could prevent nuclear missiles from hitting London if Putin attacked. 
Oh, yeah. So I, for one, for that reason alone, I hope that James Randi was wrong about Yuri. <laughs> yeah, well, he also did, he stopped Big Ben from doing a bong, I think. Yeah. And look, if nothing else, he's a wonderful flipping showman. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I, I don't know about you, but I would love to get Yuri on the show to talk, not, not to talk or to prove his paranormal powers or not, or even demonstrate them for us, even though that would be great. For me, what I'm fascinated about is that that Farron and Manchester and the Highgate Vampire, the Houdini, yeah, Conan yeah, Doyle, the relationship. It's, it's the rivalry. You know, I'd love to ask Yuri what it was like to have this almost nemesis-like figure like James Randi. You know, what, what did Yuri think at the time about Randi and what does he think now? That is what I would really love to yeah, talk I about would Yuri as well. about. I would. You well, know. It, it's been many, many, many years since I've had any contact with him because it was it was via my dad and his yeah. BBC contacts. But like, if anyone listening to this does know Yuri and he would like to spend five minutes, um, that would be brilliant. And as you know, we don't fall down on any side. We're just interested in uh, in the stories. Yeah. So yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, I think I'll, what I'll do for this episode. Uh, again, this is in Randy's book. Uh, I, I, it kind of gives Geller, it kind of gives Yuri Geller the last words. Randy writes, "Well, he, Geller, uh, has said that he doesn't mind what people say about him, as long as they spell his name right." <laughs> <laughs> oh, look! All that was fantastic. I didn't know about any of that side of the story, and. Um, now the way you frame everything that was going on there that does make me feel a little bit sad when I see him on the Carson show I think yeah, the pressure, uh, well either way either way either way whether, whether it was him being disbelieved that he had paranormal powers and it didn't happen that night or it was because he they were tricks and Randy had kind of scuppered them the pressure the pressure oh I, I just can't imagine it Lovely hair, though. Yeah, lovely. He hair. has got. In lovely fact, there hair. is quite. A, there, there are a few bitchy quotes where Geller apparently hit back at um, Randy, saying that he was just jealous of his good looks and full head of hair. Well, I think he was a model in the early stages of his career, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah. yeah. I mean, he is a fine, yeah. fine looking. I mean, today he's still. I mean, he's aged a bit, but my goodness, he looks good for whatever age he is. Well, it's funny because when I was watching the Carson thing, he has that perfect model 70s look. Oh, he really does, The kind of build even... I I know it's not quite the same, but it's almost John Travolta-esque in Saturday Night Fever. You know what I mean by that. It doesn't look like him, but it's... Yeah. Well, like you said, I... I really, every now and again, I like to read those ultra sceptical books because it does really stretch your mind and make you think in a different way. So um, I hope everybody's enjoyed that today. Thank you very much for bringing that to the table. Um, Quick update. I am still waiting for a substantive response to my AWE um, information request re-Starlight. Um, I got an update saying it was uh, it was in hand. I got like a, um, I guess you'd call it a super acknowledgement um, back from them, not just an automated one. It looked like it being crafted, okay. um, which I think is just designed to reset the clock a bit, but that's okay. But it's ongoing, still open. As soon as I hear anything, uh, I'll be back to you. You're turning up the heat. 
uh, yes, but you can't feel it because it's covered in a <laughs> mythical substance. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, we'll see you next time on the Quantum Mechanics. See you next time. Bye. Bye. the quantum mechanics